You are listening to the Accessibility Corner on Dialogue Radio Network. The Accessibility Corner aims to bring you topics and resources for our local community of people with disabilities. So, here we go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get the party started. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. And, of course, the show is sponsored by the Stephanie Townsend Ayala and Associates. Today we have a packed show. We have, we'll be talking to some, uh, some kick-ass uh, advocates from Desert Adapt. And then later on we'll be talking to Ms. Patricia Hsu. Uh, you can say bad words on the Internet, but not too many. Uh, so, first of all, um, while well, we're going to get ready for what's called the Accessibility Minute, going to talk about a phone that's available for those who are visually impaired or blind on an Android side. And uh, I always talk about the iPhone, but we're going to go to, we're going to go over into Hold the on, dark keep, side. Keep yeah, we're going to go over to the dark side in Android. So, but they, before before we do that, we can always play that later. Uh, Mr. No, 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 I'll get it up right now. Just that's fine. Um, we're going to play that, and then we're going to come back and talk to Josue Rodriguez, Raul Zamaripa, and uh, Kika. I don't, I won't say her real name because I'll mess it up and I don't disrespect that. So my wife is in the room in the studio. She's somewhere and Abel. Um, today is uh, March the third. So don't forget to go out there on March the sixth to vote. Voice your make your hashtag voice voter revolution. Yes, sir. Hashtag voter re- revolution. And um, uh, Josue and Jether Dak have been really and in, in Raul have been really uh, pushing the initiative of having people go out there and vote. And I know you voted, right, Mr. Josue? Yes. Oh, first of all, introduce yourself. I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Josue Rodriguez with El Paso Desert Adapt. I'm one of the uh, three organizers with the group. And uh, thank you for having us here once again. Awesome. And we're going to be talking about more than Desert Adapt, about what they're doing. They have a fundraiser, uh, which is I really encourage everyone to take part of that. We'll talk more about that. Mr. Ho- Mr. Raul? Mr. Z? Yeah, my name is Raul Zamarripa. I'm a, a member of El Paso Desert Adapt. And um, we've been active, well, I've been active for about 17 years, <clears throat> and it's, it's great doing what we do because um, we, need, we need a lot of active, uh, people being active in fighting for the rights of people who are disabled. Yes, sir. Amen to that. So, Mr. Abel, team, is we're, that video yeah, yeah, All right. This is called the Accessibility Minute. Hey there, welcome to Accessibility Minute, your weekly look at assistive technology. Those clever tools and devices designed to help people who have difficulties with vision, mobility, hearing, or other special needs. If you're looking for a smartphone designed for individuals who are visually impaired, check out the Smart Vision 2 Premium. According to their website, the Smart Vision 2 Premium is the only Android 6.0 smartphone with a full panel of applications dedicated to those with visual impairments. The device was carefully crafted from the ground up to maximize the ease of use for individuals who are blind or visually impaired. With this phone, you can use popular applications like phone, text, email, calculator, notes, Google Play Store, Google Chrome, and more. Other features of the premium phone include large viewing screen with high contrast display, menus and selected text are spoken back to you, voice-assisted GPS navigation, ebook creator and reader, and much, much more. Visit irie-at.com to learn more. 
For more information, to read our blog, or to drop us a line, visit eastersealstech.com. That was your Accessibility Minute for this week. I'm Laura Metcalf with the Indata Project at Easter Seals Crossroads in Indiana. And that was the Accessibility Minute, talking about an Android device for those who are visually impaired. Again, I, like I said, that's the dark side. So we're going to the dark side. Uh, well, today we're because like, again we're talking I to Mr. And, and oh, I'm sorry, you're an Android user. Sorry about that. Oh, Josue too. Oh, I'm just putting my foot in here more. Um, so, I want the listeners give give our listeners, both of you gentlemen, the background of Desert Adapt Kino Paso. Where how has it become what it is now? Well, um, I think uh, first of all the. Desert Adapt itself was funded by um, Juarez. What was his name? Uh, Eduardo Juarez. Eduardo Juarez and Frank Lozano. They were. They have been the pioneers um, in establishing what Desert Adapt is up to today. Um, they were the ones out there uh, doing the protest and and fighting for bus accessibility for lifts and buses back in the day, um, and. It has evolutionized from 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 focusing on that one issue onto uh, focusing on broader issues now. Of course, our main um, goal or our main objective is to fight for uh, home and community-based services for people with disabilities to be able to live in a home in their communities and be part of society. Now, not simple protests, but I mean hands-on protests where you black, block entrance because a lot of times, Josue and Raul, People out there say, oh, they're blocking their doorway, but see, they don't realize that that inconvenience is what people with disabilities suffer on a daily basis. Yes. And so they encounter that dis- that in- inconvenience, then they, they kind of get upset. Why are you blocking my way to go to the restroom? Well, it and, happens, you know. And that is one of the things that uh, ADAPT, Desert ADAPT, and ADAPT National and State um, take take very much to heart. We go back to the, gr- uh, the roots of uh, Martin Luther King and Gandhi um, and doing direct action and taking the issue to the people that can make the changes, to the people that have that power to make the changes that we need as individuals with disabilities to be able to to live our lives independently and in freedom. Civil uh, disobedience. Civil disobedience, yes. That is one, one of the tactics that we use. Um, uh, people might, like you mentioned and that this has happened uh, many times where we're blocking a doorway at an inaccessible restaurant and people will get angry at us and say, well, there's other ways of doing it. You could call, write letters. And uh, as a matter of fact, ADAPT does that. ADAPT uh, uses what we call the um, pitchfork approach to advocacy. We use every single method available out there to do our advocacy efforts. We use media. We write let do uh, write letters. Uh, we talk to legislators. But you know what? At the end of the day, ADAPT does what other groups um, don't do, which is the direct action part, which we take it up front and personal to the people that deny us our rights to access, our, our rights to live in the community, our rights to um, live independently, and those people that sometimes even jeopardize programs such as Medicaid, Medicare, that um, help us maintain uh, our lives in the community with the services and supports that we need, such as our attendance or our medical equipment. Now, when you say uh, the Medicaid, Medicare, remember last year when the issue came up with the, the Trump administration wanting to restrict or reduce the funding, 
And the other that, you made national news also. You went in front of the GOP uh, headquarters here on Mesa, and you, not one day, or not one hour, but two weeks. And let me ask you, both of you gentlemen, what makes you do that? I mean, I know that. I'm, I'm, I know um, where it comes from, but tell the, the, the listeners, where did that passion come from to sit out there in the rain, the wind, you, as <laughs> well, sitting for two weeks, you, Mr. Raul, sleeping out there, Tell people what makes you do that. Yeah, it was it was something that we knew that uh, Republicans were not going to let go. They 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 were in demand that they wanted to make this Medicaid cuts, and uh, nationwide we had we had our people doing what they're doing, and we thought here, well, we'll, we'll go to uh, Mr. Tay's office out there in West uh, El Paso, go to the office and talk to them, um, and. They really didn't like the idea that we we went there to talk to them, and so they they didn't want to negotiate with us. They thought we were we were rude by you know what we do, and of course later on we we had to go back. We went back. We 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 tried talking to them. They still didn't want to talk to us. So we set up a little. We started with the tent with with uh, with umbrellas, and then a tent. And uh, we stayed out there for two weeks in the sun, and <clears throat> when it was raining, it was really pouring on us, and we were uh, sending our message across uh, through Facebook, through live, and all of a sudden, uh, we, we got this, uh, a bunch of people, El Paso people, got involved with us, a lot of uh, agencies who advocate for disabled rights caught wind about what we were doing and all of a sudden they started backing us up that we were we were there for two weeks and um it, it was pretty it was it was great i loved that because this is something that we had to do and uh, man for two weeks just staying out there tired uh wow it's, you know, it's that's a great that's, experience what's yeah. funny is that the misnomer about desert adapt and adapt and that you go in there and just break down the doors? No, you try to approach, like you said, Mr. Raul, Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Z. I call him Mr. Z. That's what I call him. Mm-hmm. Um, you go and try to approach, start that dialogue. But a lot of times, like restaurants, they'll blow you off, whatever, go away. And that's when you have to have, like what you said, a direct action. Direct action. And yeah. until the business owner knows what the situation is, before I go any further, what do you both gentlemen think about this new um, education and reform act, the HR six twenty? What do you think that will do to impact that? What HR six twenty will do, or has or is going to do, or will do? Yeah. Bottom line, it's going to st- strip our our um, livelihood. Um, it's going to take away what we have gained through so much effort and have fought for through so many years um, in cutting back uh, some of the of the things that are implemented, such as the ADA. Um, in cutting back some of those it, rights, it cuts it really. It, it cuts into the ADA, and that's something yeah. that we fought uh, uh, and we we won. We had it signed by law back in the '90s by the first Bush, and and these turkeys now they they want to cut into this program that was signed by a Republican. They want to cut into that, and boy, that is it's it's unreal. But you know what's really surprising? And I, I saw on Facebook. I mean, there was, like you say, there was a bunch of organizations from the Arc of El Paso to the Arc National Arc to yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Texas uh, Coalition of, with Disabilities. I mean, all these groups, e- even at that point, in protests on the floor, didn't they, the day of the vote? Yes, we yeah. had people down there uh, protesting. Um, we had people that got arrested uh, due to the protesting and interrupting the hearing. So, it, yeah, that's that's one of the of the things that that we do. We we go up there and and we disrupt. And, and people might say that's not the way to do it. Um, I used to say I should add too that I used to think that way too. That I I was like that's not what we need to be doing. That's we should be talking and and uh, negotiating with uh, the people in power. And yeah, we should negotiate, but. Always doing that negotiation from a stance of equal power, True. Um, not not going and asking for our rights to be given, but demanding that our rights be given and respected, just like everybody else. And that's where uh, that thing that, that that the little gray area is, gentlemen. That the business owner, the private sector, doesn't realize that maybe they don't know they're in violation of the law, or they don't, really don't care, or whatever yeah. the situation is. But when you come to that business owner and want to start that dialogue you know what let's work together and when they say no well then adapt then that, that's when when we take the stance of, of you know what 25 years plus of the americans with disabilities act and still we're running into issues of accessibility of discrimination of even employment i mean uh don't get me started yeah exactly that's what i was gonna say you have <laughs> You, 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 and I have. Well, we've had those those chats where you talk about uh, how difficult it is for people with disabilities to get employment out in the uh, employment sector. Um, one one thing that you asked me earlier was what got me into this. Yeah, what got you into it? You too, what, Mr. Z. What, 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 yeah. Is that like an incident that happened that got you? Well, into? you know what? It's funny with me because I started off uh, with the youth leadership forum. Uh, it was when it was at Region 19. And through there, um, Rick Rosso um, literally forced me to go to a, an ADAPT training because he wanted me to go go and come and, and teach what I learned over there. And that was my only intent, to go back, learn, come back and teach, and that's it. Because I, I have to admit, I really didn't like ADAPT before. Or are they? Really? Uh, I okay. I have to be honest, and that, that's why that's why I like sharing my story because a lot of people think like I thought before. Oh, it's a bunch of rowdy people just making noise and causing trouble. You know what? Yes, we 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 don't cause trouble. We create change. It's like I, I like to put it. Um, so. My involvement in, in ADAPT began at the ADAPT Youth Summit when we had the ADAPT Youth Summit. Um, and I remember being at that training for a couple of days, just taking notes, not interacting. I didn't really interact with the other trainees or the trainers. I My goal was not to get involved whatsoever because, like I said, I didn't like it. But then we we had the task of carrying out an action against a subway restaurant. That it was inaccessible, and we wanted to um, ask them or demand that they put in a wrap, right? So I remember uh, the trainers talking to me the night before. My 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 duty was to, um, oh, what was it? To negotiate with the police, right? Uh, and the the trainers sat down with me, and they saw that I wasn't interacting, that I wasn't really involved. You? Uh, yes. 
Josue? Yes. Oh, Lord. Okay. That's, yeah, that I wasn't really interacting. And that one of the, um, they sat down with me the night before uh, we had our, our, our training action. And they said, you know what? We need to know if you're going to do your part or, or if we need to put somebody else because the action is tomorrow and we want to know if you're going to participate or not. I told them, yes, I will participate. Um, I will not block anything. I will not chant or, or, or shout. Uh, I'm not going to do any of those things. But I will negotiate with the cops. So we got there. And, and, and to this, I was just like, okay, we're going to get there. The, oh, the manager is going to sign the letter that they're going to do it, even if they don't do it, and we're going to be gone. Mm. So we got there. We tried nicely. We sent somebody in to try to get the manager to come speak with us. And then um, they, they literally refused to. They, they refused to. So the manager goes out and tells us that, we, um, that she's not going to talk to us, that uh, we have nothing to do there. And, and, you know, at that moment, I was like, for real, this lady, uh, there's something, something so dumb about that situation because you could get r literally rid of us by signing a letter and, and that's it. Hosman, let me tell you, can interrupt you real fast? Yeah. And this, and I saw, I saw this just to let my listeners know. I'm kind of back up your story here. Years ago, when I was uh, fortunate enough to be invited by Desert Dad to go with Pizza Hut, there by UTEP. And you were there, Mr. Z. Yes. I don't think you were here yet. I think you were no, in Tennessee. I wasn't here back in And so I'm in there, and of course I can't see, and I hear someone yelling, and so I asked, uh, it was my mother, I go, what, what's going on? And you could hear the, 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 the managers and the employees yelling at you guys, us, saying, get the, out, out of here. You sorry. And I'm like, wow, that is, that's the response you're getting of? Mm -hmm. And so I see where you're coming from. But now, granted, I haven't gotten to the extent where both of you gentlemen have, but the listeners need to know that when you deny someone access, that's passionate. Because your wife, the only reason I'm being denied is because why? 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 Because I use a wheelchair or mm -hmm. because I'm blind? That's the only yeah. reason why. But anyways, go back to you. I'm sorry. I yeah. No, well, and, and we were at the point where <clears throat> they, they said, okay, well, they don't want to listen to us. And I remember, I remember getting, I think it's one of the first times that I felt like such anger of being so like treated as less than nothing. <laughs> one of the times, um, and I remember that anger building up inside me, like, for real people, all you needed to do was sign that darn letter. <laughs> and I remember that when uh, when the, the, the trainer said, okay, we're blocking, I remember I was one of the first people there blocking and <laughs> chanting. And it, it, that was one of my life-changing moments, I think. Oh, when, wow. when I was able to experience that, that like, like you called it, that passion, that anger, mm -hmm. because... That's what it was. It was anger that I, I, I had inside me just because somebody denied me what others were getting so easily. You know, it's interesting that you talk that way, and I don't mean to interrupt, but I got to tell you, uh, I learned, and this came from a big leader, okay, that told me, female leader that said, Abel, sometimes you have to serve a plato of chingas yeah. in order for someone to... You, you guys can understand what I'm saying, right? I mean, if you walk in and you're over here trying to give a concern to a, to a manager and the manager treated you the way they treated George about you 
all that was left to call you scum, you know, get out of my store. You have to, you have to protest. You have to serve that plato, and you got to stick their face into it. So I commend you for for finally figuring that out. You know, sometimes you know you want to be copacetic and let's talk and all that, but you you do agree that sometimes you got to serve that plato. Well, and and mm-hmm. and, and and like you said, serving that plate or going towards the direct action point is when you brought you when you use the other prongs in the pitchfork and they don't work. Mm-hmm. So combining the pit, the direct action part with media and other stuff is what makes things work. It's what has worked for us. So like I said, I w- it was it was getting that anger out in a way that that I never realized what I would be able to do. And ever since then, it's been approximately 10 years already since I've been in ADAPT. But I went from, and, I, and everybody, um, I talk to some of our fellow adapters sometimes, and, um, and a friend that moved to Chicago, and, and she's like, yeah. Or, or, or Garcia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Kika sometimes brings it up. What's Kika over there? Um, and she brings it up that before, I re- they remember one, one action I went to at a Walmart, and everybody was chanting and everything, but I was hiding behind the a poster. I'm like, God, I, I don't want to be seen with these people. So, yeah. So, it, I, what, what, when people tell, ask me what ADAPT has done for me, if I could only begin to explain how ADAPT has taught me in various ways to stand up for myself and stand up for the rights of my brothers and sisters with disabilities, it would take us a, quite a while to, to even begin to scratch the surface on that. But that's one thing that ADAPT has done. And, and, and that's why I encourage people to get do, do what I did and, and force yourself out of that comfort zone. Force yourselves out of being always... St- like one of our youth, um, our, our, our youth uh, trainees in the summit said, people always telling us, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't have that, you can't go here, you can't go there. Why not if everybody else does? Exactly. And that's, that's, that's I think, that what I would like to see out of all of our people with disabilities because we, we, we talk about the ADA and we talk about our civil rights and about... Um, IDEA and inclusion in schools and inclusion in our communities. But we have to also realize and recognize that people like Frank Lozano, like Bob Kafka, uh, and like many other people that developed, adapt into what it is today. I've, I've learned a lot from Frank. and, and uh, George, we're going to give it the extra 10 minutes, okay? And we'll still keep her on 10 minutes afterwards so you won't lose any time. Okay. We're at 1130, but this is too good. So okay. Well, the thing is, extra that, ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, if you in serio, if you go back and listen to the listeners, just Google ADA history, the history of ADA mm-hmm. of the ADA, and you're going to see that one of the proponents <clears throat> or the front runners to pushing that uh, legislation through is Adapt. And I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. know that. Just last week, I'm like, oh wow, that's cool. Yeah. But the reason why I brought you on, you, you and Mr. Z. Is you have a very important event that I think is every year you need yes. to fund this initiative. You need to bring that that activism to the front. And without yes. funding, it's kind of hard, right? I mean, uh, well, yeah, funding funding makes with it or without it, we do it. But funding 
funding makes it a lot easier for us to be able to do the things that we do the way that we do them. Um, I do, um, I, like you said, we have an event coming up, um, and it's going to be April the 21st from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Yucca Park, and the address is 7975 Williamette Avenue. Um, and what we'd like to see is um, this is not only an opportunity to come out and support ADAPT, um, which I think it's a great, uh, a great thing to do. I mean, we can get, uh, use all the support we can get. But also if um, there's different organizations or groups um, that would like to participate and raise funds for their group um, while participating at the fun run, they can always contact us and we are, we'll gladly let them know how they can, their group can participate to raise funds for their individual organizations or groups. And it doesn't have to be a nonprofit uh, that signs up. Uh, if you have a, a club that meets every month or something like that and you want to uh, uh, help adapt as well as help uh, raise some funds for what events you're doing, uh, please uh, give us a call, contact us, and we'll gladly show you um, how the adapt the Fun Run for Disability Rights can help um, you all out there in raising some funds. That how can someone using. contact you, you and Mr. Z? Um, my, you can contact us uh, by phone. My my phone number is 915-449-3834, and my uh, email is josue period adapt at yahoo.com my number is 915-790-7988 and my email is raulzamaripa1955 at gmail.com if someone call oh you have a facebook page right there's a facebook page for yes for we have desert adapt yeah desert adapt how about yes. a website um, uh, we are with the Adaptive Texas uh, okay. website right now. So if you go to adaptivetexas.org, um, you will find us there. And we also have our national adapt website, which is adapt.org. And that, you know what, honestly, in Sedio, if you just want to look it up, adapt on the Google, you're going to get a lot of response. You're going to get a lot of hits regarding the, what you've done. I mean, not only here in El Paso, but nationwide, people need to understand that. You know, not locally also, but in, on the national level. Where you, Mister, you're going to go what next week to Washington? Both of you? Uh, mean, there's three of us from the group that are going down to an event. We'll call it that for now. Okay. Uh, to Washington D.C. Um, but yes, we'll be going down, and again, it's going to be focused on fighting for the rights of people with disabilities. And I would encourage people to follow us. Um, we'll probably be posting live uh, po uh going live on facebook and doing twitter and most definitely we'll keep you we'll keep i'll keep in communication with you or i'll have or we'll have somebody keep in communication with you uh in case we post anything and you might want to mention it and i remember what we're doing just think about this is the impact you both you gentlemen make and also the other that geeka and uh, that we here in el paso we see it i see it pop up like i'm in fact for you mr z I think it was three years ago. You're in front of the White House, and something happened, and you're on the on the, on the news. And I'm like, oh, I know him. <clears throat> and it was you, uh, Jose. You know. So what I'm saying is, the media has gotten hold of what you've done, and that's very important. Like when you um, protested the HR 620, <clears throat> it was on the, on the news. I remember that being. Uh, they said uh, the national news said a group called Adapt. 
I'm yeah. like, well, it's not a group, it's the group, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that you not only say it, you do it, you know? And Mr. Z, for you, what brought you into that? Well, um, I started, like, back in 99. Uh, I was going through a lot of surgeries, and I didn't know where to go. I met a man by the name of uh, uh, David Armendares, and he introduced me to Mr. Mr. Lara and then Frank. And uh, I, they asked me if, if I was ever interested in, in any protesting, and I didn't know what they were talking about. So they... They invited me to one of these protests, and it was this that protest uh, at the downtown. Right now, it's called the Malinches, but back then it was a Burger King. They had steps. Oh, yes. We hit that place twice, and the second time uh, we were there, and and a lot of people uh, they got off the wheelchairs. It was on lunchtime. They got off wheelchairs, and we started going up there, uh, paying with pennies. Boy, that that really hit the roof with, with the manager. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought, this is great. You know, this is great. You know, we, we, we're causing some change. And then the following year or, or that same uh, time, uh, we had Stephanie Thompson and Bob Kopka from Austin. They had come by and we had like a march from uh, City Hall, which was the El Paso Times then, to to City Hall. And we were all chanting and chanting, and and uh, Stephanie, she she enjoyed the way I uh, I yelled. She said, we need people like that. So Frank invited me to go to D.C. And the first time we uh, I went to D.C., we hit the A.R.P. and I go, wow, this is great, man. Uh, you know, hundreds of people blocking entrances. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets out. It. It was awesome. But you got the point too. You got the point across, right? That's yeah. The point. You got that initiative done. <clears throat> we're coming up to the close of the, of the segment. Um, we're we're going to have Miss Patricia Shu. Um, both of you gentlemen, um, I want very important. I want people to hear about the event. I think it's very important. It's in April. Yes, it's in April. April the twenty first. Again, from ten to one at Yucca Park, seventy nine, seventy five William at. And again, if you are, if there, if there's organizations or groups that are interested in participating and raising funds for their groups, please contact us. Give your number one more, one more time, both of you gentlemen. Nine one five four four nine three eight three four. Mr. Z, uh, I'm sorry, your email. I'm sorry, Mr. Josue. I'm sorry. Josue adapt at yahoo dot com. And nine one five seven nine zero seven nine eight eight. Raul Zamarripa, nineteen fifty-five at gmail dot com. So my listeners, the listeners, um, I'm sorry, I, I just wanted to uh, add something really quick, George. Sure, sure. Um, one of the things that we we would like to see is a lot more involvement from our our disability community here in, in El Paso. Let's shake off that fear of confronting power. Let's own our own power and go out there and demand our rights as well. And People can do it in so many simple ways. One of them, one important one that you brought up earlier, go out and vote, people. Go make the disability vote count. Exactly. Um, because it's up to us to get people to work up there that are going to work for us. We're, we're, now, we're part of we're, that Rev Up Texas, right? Yes, okay. Rev Up Texas. Okay. Yeah, because right. when, when you don't vote, the enemy wins and you lose. Yeah. We don't want that. If you vote, you win. But every time you say, no, nah, let the other guy vote, let the other guy vote, I don't want to vote, I don't believe you voted, 
the other guy wins because he's laughing that you didn't vote. It's important Hasht- that everybody votes. Hashtag voter revolution, baby. Yeah, go out yeah. there and vote. I mean, there's, uh, the, there's no honestly, gentlemen. Both, even for me, there is no excuse. If you're lazy, I mean, there's curbside voting. There, I mean, no, no, not even lazy. I mean, there are people who physically cannot go out and vote. Mail in, vote by mail, people. By make mail? your voice count. You have that power to make that voice heard. Um, I did want to mention a couple of things really quick, George, before we ended. Um, one of the things that we, uh, about getting people engaged is we have our, we're working on our petition asking Senator Cruz and Cornyn um, to help stop cuts to Medicaid and Medicare that is a safety net to a lot of our people. So if people uh, want to sign the peti- our petition, they can get in contact with us and we can um, make copies available for them. And also, if people would like to join us at our next monthly meeting, um, we're meeting at the Jose Cisneros uh, Cielo Vista Library at 1300 Hawkins uh, from 12 to uh, 4 to 3.30 p.m. Um, and our next meeting will be March the 15th. Uh, and we meet every third Thursday of the month. Okay. Well, you've been listening to... Uh Mr. Josue Rodriguez and Raruma Zamaripa and Kika from Deather Adapt. Um, you're going to stay over for the interview, right? For Mrs. Uh, Chu, both of you gentlemen, or Mr. Josue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we're going to be back after the break. Uh, we're going to have Ms. Uh, Patricia Chu uh, running for probate, uh, probate court number one. So we'll be back here with the Accessibility Corner on Dialogue Radio Network. Stephanie Townsend Iala. At the law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala and Associates, our attorneys, including Jennifer Coulter and my own daughter, Jessica Clute, fight for the nursing home and home health care rights of the elderly and disabled. I'm attorney Jessica Clute. The law firm of Stephanie Townsend Iala also specializes in estate planning, probate, trusts, wills, powers of attorney, nursing home advocacy, Medicaid asset protection, and guardianships. Call us at 533-0007. Welcome back to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. And we are sponsored, or the show is sponsored by Stephanie Townsend Ayala and Associates. And as part of uh, our campaign here, uh, well, our campaign was Rev Up Texas, Mr. Josue Rodriguez. We try to educate the voters as to the candidates when it comes to issues with persons with disabilities in general. It's a nonpartisan uh, initiative through the state of Texas that we try to bring those candidates forward. For example, we've had uh, Escobar, we've had um, Mr. Carillo, we've had Mr. Uh, Samimigo, 
and uh, I'm missing someone. I know I am, and I apologize. Oh, uh, Mr. Uh, Jerome Tillman last week. And today, we're fortunate enough to have Ms. Uh, Patricia Chu, and we're going to talk to her about, I want, I want our, our listeners to know who she is and, and her background, where she's from. So first of all, everyone, good morning, Mrs. Chu. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for having us. And Mr. Josue will be on, on the mics, too. And what, Mr. Chu, let our listeners know who you are, because I don't know you. I want to be where you're from, what, you know, where you went, and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, again, I'm Judge Patricia Chu. I am um, a native El Pasoan. I went to school in Houston at Thurgood uh, Marshall School of Law and practiced in Houston for about, or I was there for about 22 years, when my brother, who was the chief justice um, at the time, or became the chief justice, and my family called, and you know how we are in El Paso, and they said, okay, you have to come home. Hmm. because they didn't want to change the name of the law firm, which was Douglas Chu and Chu, because then they'd have to buy a new letterhead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I returned and came back. I was an immigration defense attorney for many, many years, and then I adopted a small child at five days old, young man, and at about 18 months he was diagnosed with autism, and that started my journey uh, in advocating for individuals with disabilities. Uh, as I learned in how to advocate for him to be have total inclusion in the system and not be kind of shoved off to the side and, okay, you know, he can't learn anything, so we'll just put him in this room. Uh, it was that journey of learning and trying to deal with all of the hurdles that individuals with special needs and disabilities have as I mastered that skill, coming from an area of law that's totally unrelated, um, I then started representing other other children and other families, primarily those who could not afford it. So you know the importance of inclusion in Absolutely. So that's very important for persons with disabilities to understand that. Uh, again, March the 6th is the primaries. Uh, vote for Mrs. Chu if you feel after this, this after this show that you she's a good candidate. In my opinion, my opinion now is that she is, um, and we'll talk a little bit more specifically on the courts and whatnot. So when you came to back to El Paso, what year was that more or less? I came back to El Paso. I left in '72 and I came back in '94. And how long have you been a judge of the I've been uh, a judge of the probate court since 2011. Oh, so, so you've been a while. Yes. Okay, and. What's the normal caseload for someone in that court? Well, we're one of the high-volume courts, not just my court, but probate court is uh, just in general. It's the court that nobody wants to be in, but it's the court that everybody goes through. Because we handle uh, estates, probates of wills, airships, determinations, guardianships, we handle the um, uh, mental health docket for the civil mental health docket, not the criminal mental health docket, um, and various other things, delayed births, uh, delayed deaths, many other things, and anything related to an estate or guardianship. So if uh, the guardianship, for example, if somebody becomes incapacitated due to a car accident, that car accident or that personal injury uh, suit will then come to our court. Uh, same with uh, wrongful deaths and that type of thing. So we expand out beyond just those hard areas. When I say the word, just for the, our listeners to get educated on the impact that your court does, 
when I say the word guardianship, what did that mean? Well, when we put somebody under a guardianship, it means that they can no longer uh, take care of themselves. And when we say take care of themselves, we're not looking at, for example, someone who's in a wheelchair but is perfectly cognizant, uh, mentally cognizant of everything else, or someone who is visually impaired but can function in every other way. We're talking about someone who is unable to take care of their daily living needs as well as someone who does not have the mental capacity to make decisions or understand the impact of some of their decisions um, that they make that actually endangers them. And that could be a consequence of, like you said, uh, an accident, uh, uh, a medical condition? It's everything from, uh, from birth, uh, someone who has Down syndrome where they're IDD or where uh, or severely autistic or um, whether it's caused by a surgery, a car accident, uh, traumatic brain injuries. Who who makes that? I know you. Does the court make that determination on on the person's abilities or? Well, it's it's twofold. Or yeah, it's really twofold. Initially, if someone files for guardianship for their loved one. They have to take the, the individual to a doctor and a, a either a licensed doctor or a licensed psychiatrist makes the determination, the initial determination. There's a form that we call a certified medical exam and that has to be filed with the application. The second phase of that is our court investigators then go out to verify for their my eyes. They go out and verify that, in fact, that individual doesn't have the capacity to care for themselves. And those, both of those are social workers. Um, my lead investigator is a licensed clinical social worker. So they do, they look at it from a different perspective than the doctor who's just, here's the medical part of it. We look at it from a, a little bit different perspective. And those two um, assessments then bring us to what do we need to protect this individual and how much can we leave with them. So we always look at it from we have a little checklist of can they decide where they live? Can they do a contract? Is there a l- less restrictive means of caring for them without taking away all their rights? Now, when it comes to, there are times when you do have to take away those that guardianship from the family. What 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 guidelines do you use to do that? If, well, of course, it depends on third party guardianships. If we're taking it away from a parent or a, a family member, something has occurred. If they haven't, if they are the guardians, and we're having to remove them as a guardian. Something has transpired that alarms our court and alarms our investigators to say, I think we need to revisit this. Um, Maybe the families uh, themselves become incapacitated. They become elderly. They can no longer care for the individual. And that's usually the primary reason. Can a guardianship come back to the family? Or is it once it's taken away, that's Yes. Many times it does come back. Uh, A lot of times what happens is, and I'll give you an example. If we have someone where the ward is very aggressive, 
very violent. We're having mixtures of medications happening. There's, you know, we're uh, we're getting medications from Mexico, and you know how often that happens, and here, and at some point we will bring in an agency to take care of them, uh, take care of the individual with that, with uh, the disability, and try to um, get the ward, which is the person with the, the disability, and try to get the ward back on track. This often happens when, as we all know, when individuals with disabilities are in school, it's very, very structured. You know, they know they got to be at school at 8.30, they're out by 3.30, they have dinner, they go to bed. It's very routine. What often happens with these individuals is that once they graduate from school, there's no routine anymore. They come home, and hopefully they're in programs, but if they're not, they, you know, we always say they, they graduate to go home and watch TV. Very, it's very, it's a very sad situation. On one, one thing I've learned from, uh, I don't know if you, do you know Bonnie Pettis by any chance? Uh, a little her. bit. I know of her. Um, she taught me, the, um, she educated me that uh, individuals with, dis- with uh, autism, now that there's a whole spectrum, but they have a structure. Right. They have it's a, a very. A role. Like my cousin, she has Down syndrome. And for example, if we say her mom's going to pick her up and we go pick her up, me and my wife, she won't go with us because she wants. And right. so I understand that. It's so, that anticipation. She knows who's coming to get her. Yes, ma'am. So what's the difference uh, between an IGD, which is an intellectual developmental disability, and a mental health diagnosis? Well, and this is going to be hard because a lot of individuals that have a mental health diagnosis, um, we're talking schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, uh, schizoaffective disorder, uh, and so many times with a mental health uh, diagnosis you can give them medications and it ameliorates the symptoms of the mental health of the mental illness whereas with IDD there is an appeal that can make it better and so with IDD usually you're talking a lower cognitive level um, most individuals with mental illness are are really smart I mean really bright Mm. Uh, with individuals with IDD you're having um, a lesser cognitive level and so although you can give them medications to offset the aggressiveness uh, which happens in many cases with Down syndrome um, you can't you can't give them a pill that will give them a higher cognitive level at the end of the day what the court does and what I'm reading understanding the core main objective is to not number one care for the individual uh who can't care for themselves for whatever reason and also keep that quality of life uh, there for that person for that person that you have uh, a court case on before i go further mr Josue, um he's on the mic too did you have a question yeah there was a question that was brought up that i want to relate to you uh, so, what is the criteria used when admitting a person into a state-supported living center? Is one of them. What is the criteria? Generally, on the state-supported center, we are looking at somebody that we have to have probably the most restrictive environment for them, um, where we've tried all the other avenues and none have worked. And so, whether it's 
whether we try uh, a foster living, which is more home-like, uh, or we try, you know, we won't put somebody who's young in a nursing home. Uh, we try to do foster homes sometimes, um, and I'll give you an example, and I have to kind of fall back on autism because that's the disability I know best, but with autistic individuals, they either like environments or they don't much like uh, someone with Downs. And so if we, if they're placed in an environment that's not fitting, then we will say, okay, let's try another one. Why don't we try this one? Uh, and so we'll try a different, either different foster homes if they're not at their own home, um, or if we're in a situation where we're really having trouble controlling the ward. And when I say control is that they're um, so aggressive um, so violent that they're destroying everything, then we'll start considering whether a state home would be uh, a fix, a short-time fix, more to get that structure back into their life, get that routine back so that we can then try again and transfer, bring them back out into the community. But sometimes we just need that because they can't go back to school, that structure, that that real rigid structure so that they can it's you know I hate to call it this but it's almost like a reboot you know so that we can bring them back in mm -hmm. and then transfer them back out and try so again. is the process for admitting somebody into an institution and getting them out of an institution streamlined is it easy to get them in as, as is easy to get them out well it's it's not a real streamlined process at all. It's a, you know, it takes court proceedings and that, and we really have to show, or it's, individuals have to show me as a judge that there are no other alternatives, that they've tried every least restrictive environment and it is not working. Okay. Now in the process with Mr. Uh, Mr. Josue was saying, it's the same process as putting someone in an institution there or taking them out. Do you, does the court um, take in feedback from the family? Yes, we do. Okay. And we always try to include the family unless the family, in some respect, is part of the problem. And I, you know, no, um, no, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's why we have APS and CPS. Um, if that is part of the environment and it's causing more of a problem, we never. There are times when we can't let a parent, unless it's in a controlled environment, visit with the ward. There are very few cases that we have like that, but where that parent is part of the problem and it's such a problem that we have to say, okay, we're going to let you visit. You can visit for one hour. We're going to meet at a controlled situation where we can... Um, somebody else has to be there. It's, it's much like um, in CPS cases where it's uh, like a you know, controlled visit. Now, here in El Paso, in your experience, do you feel, because I know Project Amistad is the main... Uh, they, own the, they have the contract with the county for the indigent cases. Now, are there other agencies or is there a lack of agencies here in El Paso? Well, there? there's really a lack of agencies, and that is statewide. That's statewide. Um, and I know... As, whether it's through federal funding or state funding, you know, these people are not higher on anybody's priority list, and that's a huge problem. 
the mental illness, they keep cutting back on the funding, and that's a huge problem. So, yes, there's... It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? It is, it it's is. It's a vicious cycle. It is, yeah. We call it the revolving door, and, you know, if they'd put more money into it, we would see less of what we're seeing. So... So if you don't mind me asking another question. Sure. So what would you think what would you perceive to be needed in in our community to avoid uh these restrictive placements or to make available more home and community based services that would assist people to be able to live at home? Well, we always look to that first. Um and like I said, usually it's only because everything has not worked. That's why we'll try the restrictive and we'll try it for a limited period. Mm -hmm. um, I know in the past, our commitments to an institution are no more than a year. Um, and that's just a standard usually. Uh, and I, I say a standard for me is that we'll say, okay, let's tr look at one year. Doesn't mean that they'll be there one year. It just means, okay, are we back on track? Do we, do we have this individual where they're not having um, rage attacks and they're not hurting people and they're not um, destroying property. And then if that happens, and, and as you well know, everything's individual. We, mm -hmm. you know, one person will buy into that structure and we will be, you know, oh, we'll get a report and it's like, yeah, they are ready to come back out. You know, so our, our investigators, when we do those, they will go almost monthly. Okay, how are they doing? Is everything working for them? Uh, you know, can we start working on transitioning them, transitioning them and getting ready to put them back into, say, a foster home? And, and in cases where people are dismissed, from, I hate the word, dismissed from the institution, um, what kind of support services um, to help them trans uh, are put in place to help them transition back into society per se. Right. If they're coming out of say the state center, usually we'll take and it depends on the individual again a month, two months, six months to get them ready and get all the services lined up for them so mm -hmm. that the moment they step out, everything comes into place. Their housing is set for them. Services are set. Their doctors are set. Um, that's how we try to do it. Almost, if we're in control of it, that's how we we try to do it. Sometimes the state center will release somebody before we're ready for them, and so then it's a scramble. So uh, one of the things that you mentioned for criteria was housing. How um, do you see any? lack of affordable accessible and integrated housing here in El Paso that well, there's in a transition yeah what they have here or by and far are foster homes it's more like a home environment if they're not transitioning back home to their to their own biological family mm -hmm. or adoptive family and so we try to put them in um, foster homes which is more a home environment where it's like group family living with like individuals. Um, and so if it's uh, someone with Downs, we've tried to put him in a home that there's either another Downs individual, but we try not to make, and that the age group is roughly about the same, so that it is more like a, like a family where 
everybody's kind of close in age and you don't have a 20-year-old with a 60-year-old type of thing. When placing people into these foster homes or group homes, um, is there any restrictions on how they decide to, what type of activities they decide to involve themselves in or what type of lifestyle they want to carry? Generally not. Yeah, I mean, if there's, we have limited programs. Uh, you know, usually it's like a dayhab type thing. And depending on their um, level of competency, we have some that actually go and work part-time, and then they come back. Um, and that's usually through their care provider that they arrange some type of employment. We have, Pride is now opening up employments, um, and so... Um, keep in mind, most of our wards are have a limited capacity, mental, com- uh, mental cognitive capacity. Now, we've been listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Networks, which is sponsored by Stephanie Townsend Ayala. And now, Mr. Josue, can you, can you kind of admit that this is a good reason why we have Mr. Chu on here, to kind of give the listeners that that's not only mayors and city council people that affect people's disabilities, it's also the court. Hey, George, George, I got to tell you, this is amazing information we're putting out here. You know, and I'm really happy that uh, Patricia's here. She's running for office in a very tough race. But this information, I didn't even know stuff, you know, and my and my family back then was also involved with mental illness on my grandmother's side, you know, attempted suicides, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, going to Big Springs, that's, you know, probably part of, of what you have to decide sometimes but i really appreciate that you're here giving this information incredible george yeah and that's why i'm saying it's very important uh see i didn't realize this until i was educated through the rev up texas that not only the municipal uh, system but the court system is also important for us to be integrated and mr Josue, i appreciate you giving those questions because those are questions i never thought of and I, that's why you're here you, you pay you pay the big bucks uh, <laughs> but the point is that I'm, i i appreciate that you when you put this individual into a system a state system that you're willing to take them out and put it back into the into the be integrated back into the society um before we leave i want the listeners you tell my listeners why they should vote for mrs chu well i have been the judge for eight years but beyond that eight years i think that we have brought let me back up one of the reasons I ran, not only because I was representing these individuals that had disabilities, was because I viewed a court system that was not empathetic to the families, that it was a very icy reception when they would come for guardianships. Um, I once saw uh, the judge say, you know, well, why do you need a guardianship? You're his mom. And was, it, but the child was 19, <laughs> no longer could make decisions. Um, and so I was really pretty horrified when I saw that and just thought, you know, that's not right. The way this system works is not right. Um, these families have already fought from day one or are just learning the big battle of trying to get what every other child gets but their child doesn't because they have a disability. And that's what made me run. And that's what we continue to try to do each and every day in court is make it a system 
that works for the families, especially those in guardianship. It's a it's a it's a sad court because we're dealing with families that have lost a loved one or their loved one has become incapacitated or their loved one has a mental health crisis that they're having to do what none of us want to do, which is, you know, go out and get court intervention, put a guardianship, take away their rights, commit somebody into a psychiatric hospital, um, deal with that loss. So that, your court involves a lot of passion, doesn't it? Emotions and it, it's. Yeah. We have a lot of clinics. <laughs> we have a lot of clinics. You know, Ms. Hosway, you have any more questions before we? I'll make sure you. No, no, you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know Mr. Uh, Mr. Hosway's here, ma'am, and Mr. People, individuals behind you, they're big advocates, Mr. Kika and um, Mr. Z, uh, in regarding to gender adapt. So if you uh, they're looking for sponsorship, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but just in case. But going back to you, Mrs. Chu, when you want to make that decision or you make that decision to put someone, if you have to, in the state institution, what goes to your mind when it comes to the family? Well, we try to talk with the family. Usually by the time we're at that phase, the families are pretty much on board, uh, you know, because we're, we're all trying to do what is best for the individual with the incapacity. That's the total goal. It's what's best for this individual, so we're all trying to, okay, let's try this. If that doesn't work, okay, let's try this. Have you tried this? Have we tried this? We, we try to cover the gamut on trying every possible way not to put them there. Um, and if that doesn't work, then, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a placement of last resort for us. No, I hear you. No, I hear you. And the thing is that, and I want people to understand that, go out there on March the 6th to vote. Um, like Mr. Me and Josue have saying, the other adapted said, said, March the 6th, which is a few days ago, away from now, go out there and vote for your for your choice. You've heard Mrs. Chu. You want to vote for Mrs. Chu? That's your right. Um, Mr. Chu, elevator speech before we leave. Um... I don't really have one. <laughs> okay. Well, you gave a lot of information, and then you gave a lot of information what the probate judge does, or a court does, I'm sorry, and what you do, how you think, where you come from, and I appreciate you coming on board to the Accessibility Corner. You're all welcome to come back if you have something to say. You too, Mr. Hostway, and Heather Depp. Um, you've been listening to the Accessibility Corner, and uh, hopefully we'll have, uh, you appreciate Mrs. Chu's uh, initiative, personal initiative. And, uh, well, we've been listening to the Accessibility Corner here on Dialogue Radio Network. And we'll see everyone next week. We'll catch you on the rebound. And, of course, we have breaking news. On Tuesday, the Dialogue Internet Radio Network is going to go old school like you used to hear a long time ago. We are going to be doing the election results, but we're also going to start on Tuesday morning. We're going to go out to the polls. We're going to try to do some exit polling. We're going to go in and out uh, during the day uh, streaming live. And then once the election results start, we will be hopefully being able to contact people like Patricia Shu to talk about how the election results came out. We're very happy to do that. We're trying to become a uh, independent news power here in this town, and I think it's starting to work. So that's this Tuesday on the Dialogue Radio Network. And you've been listening to the Accessibility Corner brought to you by Stephanie Tandayella, and we'll see you next week. I